You're listening to Two Therapists in Therapy, a podcast about self-acceptance, self-love, self-growth, and connection. I'm your host, Sarah Brill, a licensed clinical social worker, licensed marriage and family therapist, and EMDR trauma therapist, and an Enneagram 4. And I'm your other host, Becca Moravec, licensed professional counselor, licensed marriage and family therapist, and certified intuitive eating counselor, and an Enneagram 2. Hi, Sarah. Hi, Becca. I'm so excited. I am too. I can't wait for today's episode. I'm just kind of like, I feel a little giddy. I know. I guess to answer my, that's that already answers my feeling question. Well, well let's wait. <laughs> I'm an introducer, okay, so we can perfect. all ask. Okay. Yeah. So we are giddy and excited <laughs> because we're with our friend um, and colleague and mentor, um, Carrie Stutzman. Um, she's a parentologist, a marriage and family therapist, a parent educator, social worker, and probably most importantly, she's a mother and a stepmom. Um, and so welcome to the show, Carrie. Hi, I'm so excited to be here. Thank you. Yeah. Yay. And so maybe we can start off with Becca and my favorite, uh, question, um, and we'll we'll ask you first, since you're our guest of honor. How are you feeling today, Carrie? I would say I'm feeling two different things the strongest. One is scared because I'm launching this brand new parenting class in a couple of days and it's new and it's a big adventure and it's really putting myself out there. So that's scary. And um <clears throat> I'm also really happy because I get to see the two of you. <laughs> so, and I feel honored to get to be on your podcast. Awesome. And we're so excited later on in the show to um, learn more about your parenting class that you're launching. And um, yay, we're just so, so glad you're here. Thanks. What about you, Becca? How are you feeling? You beat me to it. You're going to make me go? <laughs> I'm going to make you go. Um, it's funny. When Sarah said this is our favorite question, I'm like, no, this is your favorite <laughs> question. They're very good at questions. That's, you, you have a gift. Thank you. Um, and how I'm feeling is excited um, and connected, right? I think that doing interviews even via zoom right we're not physically with carrie although i wish we could be um makes me just feel like joy that is often missing in life these days um so i feel i feel that joy of just being connected to you even though there's a computer screen between us um and personally i feel um What are my four basic emotions? Sad, glad, mad, happy. Um, I would say I'm in the happy category this week. Um, and I, expanding on that would be um, I feel happy about just the routine of life right now. It's so funny that you hate that question because you're always so good at answering it. <laughs> well, it just takes me – I don't, like, live in it uh -huh. because I'm so used to putting my feelings – to the side. side to like 
to be with other people, which it doesn't allow me to be with other people. You know this, <laughs> but, but so it like takes me a minute to, I know it's not like, I don't always know how I'm feeling mm-hmm. until I take the space to ask it. And I think maybe why it's not my favorite question is because the chance of it being one of those other three emotions of mad, sad, or scared is, is pretty high. <laughs> And then you then you have to feel it, which is good. I'm always glad I do. I don't hate feelings. It's just as uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Well, you're really good at answering. <laughs> Thanks for all that explanation. Yeah. I feel like that was really helpful. Yeah. Sarah, what about you? How are you feeling? Um, I am feeling um I'm I'm truly feeling giddy and excited. And it's it's partially connected to what I shared. Last week, just being pregnant, I feel so excited to be able to talk to a parentologist today (laughs) and one who is so authentic and open about her own story and her own struggles and um, realizations and uh, peaks and valleys along the way because I think parenting is such an epic uh, assignment. Um, to be given and to feel like there's someone who um, is really dedicated to helping parents, like I said, in in an authentic way feels really exciting and important to me. And so I'm just so excited to hear your story and so grateful that you're here um, and willing to share with us. So welcome, Carrie. Welcome. Thank you. Happy. Happy to be here. So I'm going to start you with my actual favorite question. <laughs> just kidding. I really do like the feelings question. I just have to <laughs> um, is, um, but one of our favorite questions also is what, if you would just tell us, what is your working definition of self-acceptance? Um, well, it sounds so obvious in the title of self-acceptance, accepting of self, Um, but to me, I think that means, um, accepting who I am versus what I do and accepting myself as imperfect, um, not too much, not too little, um, and not defined by my external circumstances, you know, what I have or where I live or what titles I have or any of that, but just, um, I guess really part of what it is too, is having this kind, loving voice inside my head. I know that I'm in a place of self-acceptance when it's not the critic who's having a lot of airtime in my head, but it's more that voice that has compassion that's, that's accepting of me, of my mistakes, um, the different parts of me that come up. Um, Oh, and probably the biggest part that comes with self-acceptance is accepting my feelings, like big feelings or feelings that aren't, um, that I'm not comfortable with. And I've recently had to encounter that I can be accepting of a lot of parts of myself, but having big dreams, like to have a big impact or anything like that, that that's been taboo. So just recently I've been having to come to terms with, can I accept myself, um, kind of on the positive side too. You know what I mean? The Mm -hmm. uncomfortable feelings, but also like the wanting to have impact. Mm -hmm. To grow and expand. Yeah. And to be of service in a bigger way 
because I was raised with such a tradition of like, be small, be humble, be of service in that way. So accepting all of who I am and having a kind voice inside of my head would probably be my working definition of self-acceptance. Wow. So just as you're sharing all of that, and that's so beautiful. And um, yeah, thank you for sharing. I'm thinking about wondering about where your self-acceptance journey began. And I have another like thing I want to add on to that, but I'm wondering if I should just start with just that. Where, where did your self-acceptance journey really begin? Um, I would say um, the time that then I first became conscious of it was when I was 19. <clears throat> I was a sophomore in college. I had barreled into college doing all of what I did, like achieving, organizing, leading, belonging to this club, running for student government, just like doing all of what I thought mattered about me. And I found myself getting depressed and I didn't understand why. <clears throat> and so I started uh, therapy the summer after the summer after my freshman year and started to um, started to look at how like 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 confronting how I had been raised versus what was going to work for me going forward. Mm -hmm. But that's when I really think it started. So you mentioned um, a few minutes ago, you talked about being raised with this real mentality of humility and being of service and being small. And then it also sounds like you really got this message that you needed to achieve and kind of do in order to maybe have worth and value. And so I'm curious about your upbringing and kind of those two threads that sound like they're kind of coming up. Yeah. So, um, when I was young, I really like no harm, no foul to my parents because they did their best job. But when I looked back, I realized that what I had gotten noticed for, um, celebrated, all that kind of stuff was the stuff that I did. What I read or what kind of grades I got or you know, what I was involved in. Like when I graduated from high school, my resume was so long with all these activities. And so my parents celebrated that. And I was a good girl, right? I was all those things that make a kid easy to raise, but that don't necessarily lend to inner calm and self-peace. Um, so I was supposed to do big, but stay kind of humble and small in how I perceive myself. That's hard. <laughs> I know. Yeah, yeah those two that. realities slammed into each other in my head at a bunch of different points along my journey. Yeah. How did that feel for you as a as a kid and as like in your early teens to have those two different messages kind of slamming against each other? Um, confusing, but I think, I don't think I really encountered how much it was about like staying small until more recently, like back then it was more, it was, 
um, you know, my therapist kind of pointing out about my feelings and it was okay to feel what I feel. And it was just more like a, um, I don't know, like an aha of, oh, I am more than just what I do. So that was, I think it was, it was freeing because I, and I could recognize that my parents didn't do that out of any ill will. Like it made sense that they raised me that way, given how they were raised and stuff. Um, but it started to feel like a little bit of freedom inside myself to not be so defined by what I was doing. Cause I was doing to the point where I was exhausted and overwhelmed. And, um, I connected some dots that my parents got a divorce the summer before I, the summer after I graduated from high school. And I realized that when I got into therapy a year later that I wasn't feeling my way through that divorce, I was doing in a way to, to not have to feel. But after a year of that, my freshman year in college, it caught up with me. And I was like, why do I feel so blue? I'm never blue. I'm supposed to be happy all the time. Carrie is a perky girl who, you know, does all these things. And so that's when it really kind of, it felt good to go, oh, I don't have to be so busy. Wow. So, so was there kind of like, cause I'm thinking about those moments where we kind of have this epiphany that we're, um, asleep in some way. And mm-hmm. I'm wondering, was it, was there kind of a rock bottom moment or what caused you to sort of wake up from that spell of achieving? From that what? The, oh, that spell. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I would say that it's happened multiple times in my life. I sure wish that I could just go through it once and then be like, check the box, eyes open, self-awareness, here it is. Um, but it it didn't. So I think that feeling depressed in college was my rock bottom because I'm like, whoa, wait a minute. This isn't what I do. <laughs> I don't do depression. <laughs> I do happiness. So 19, 19 and 20 were like kind of big years for that for me. I think that you're hitting on something that is so true for all of us though. Like that, um, that story that like thread through our lives that feels like that wound that feels ancient kind of. Mm-hmm. Right? And like, you're like, I've learned this before. I learned it when I was 19. <laughs> um, and, and here it is again. And, and then it just reminds me that the, process probably isn't about getting it right and never dealing with it again, but awareness that this is deeply ingrained in me and like life's work could be working to distance myself from that story. Right. And yeah. Yeah. So you said, you're like, I wish I would have learned it then. So, so could you tell us a little bit more about how that part of your self-acceptance journey evolved from there? Yeah, it feels like it came throughout my life and like that each time it came up, I had to keep deepening into different levels of self-acceptance. So that first piece was in college where I learned to slow down a little bit. Um, And then I remember being 33 and I was a stay-at-home mom of two little boys who were like three and eight months old. And I was a stay-at-home mom. I was staying home with them. I had wanted them. I was excited to have them, excited to be home with them. And yet I was crying to my therapist on the phone, like an emergency session, um, because I felt like I had lost myself and my pursuit of my spiritual growth, because that had always been something that had really defined me. 
And so um, that as a young mom, I was having to accept that I had needs too, that I couldn't just subjugate all of my own needs for the sake of motherhood because it's too long of a journey. And so that was hard. I felt guilty, like I shouldn't take any time away from my kids to pursue my own spiritual practice or any of that. But I did. I started a spirituality group with women and we got together and did that. And um, so it was one of those things where it was uncomfortable. But when I pushed into it, then it felt more freeing. I felt so happy those days that I went to my spiritual, my spirituality group. And then I fast forward. Can I pause you? Yeah. I'm curious. That feels like that connects to when you were 19 too, right? There was like a discomfort. Uh Uh Like pushing your way in. It feels like (laughs) pushing into the discomfort. Yeah. Good observation. Cause like I'm in one of those right now too. And every single time the big moments where I feel like I've like made a a step up in self-acceptance has come with push something that I'm pushing against that I have a bit of a tantrum about to life about like, Hey, I don't want to feel this way. I have a little hissy fit. And then I accept it and move into it and push through. And on the other side, I'm like, Oh, I'm glad I'm here. Carrie, I just relate to you so deeply in this moment because that feels so aligned with my process sometimes. <laughs> I especially appreciate your language of throwing a tantrum. Because <laughs> I, I think I can relate to that. I think a lot of people can relate to that. I think Sarah can oh my God. relate to that. <laughs> like and be like, no, I don't want to. But then the freedom that comes from like leaning into that growth. If like self-acceptance and self-growth like are actually, if there's like a parallel process, like the more you accept, the more you can expand kind of thing. Yes. Which I think that people struggle with self-acceptance because they're so fearful. If I accept myself, I'll stop growing because I'll just accept, like they they think it's like some like excuse. Yeah. Like like, self-settlement. It's not settling. Yeah. Oh, uh-huh. that is the language. It's not self-settlement. Self-acceptance is perfectly, is not perfectly, but is aligned with self-growth. Yeah. Yes. Uh-huh. You just gave, you both just gave me language for something that I think some listeners have asked. Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah. Cool. So anyway, back to you, <laughs> Carrie. So, um, so after that, that time at 33, what happened next? Well, then, um, it was a, big chapter in my life when I turned 40 and um, I was in a really uncomfortable, unhappy relationship. And I had stayed for a long time um, for the sake of my kids, for social status, for being so allergic to like, or so attached to the fantasy that I had about how my life was going to look how my kids were going to be raised, where I was going to live, being a full-time mom. Um, And finally, I realized that I had to stop defining myself by social status and how other people perceive me, which was my doing. And I had to end um, a toxic relationship, which meant a massive disruption in my life and what I had wanted for it. But it was transformative. Um, it was the biggest way ever in my life that I had to shift from valuing my children's and my emotional well-being 
over the fantasy of how our lives would look. And so that was, that took years for me to get to that point at 50 of going how I feel and what I need and how my children feel and need and the right to live in an emotionally healthy environment outweighs um, the satisfaction of staying in the parameters that I had defined for myself before I knew the reality of what life was actually going to look like. You know, my little picture of the picket fence and all that. And so leaving and getting a divorce and being a single working mom going back to school. For me, that was like a scarlet letter. And um, because I just wasn't going to do that. My parents had gotten divorced and I was not going to get divorced come hell or high water. And here I was going, wow, if I'm going to be healthy and if my kids are going to be healthy, I have to do this. How did you get the courage to to make such a huge decision that also sounds like um, was connected to some trauma for you in your childhood. Yeah. um, The courage I would say came from two things. One was this fierce, loyal love to my three sons as the mama bear whose job it was to help, you know, raise them in a healthy way. Like I love them so much. I would go through anything I had to. And so it was a shift to go from I'm staying for my sons to to converting to I need to leave for my sons. And then it was also a lot of therapy with a therapist who really taught acceptance of feelings. And I had a spiritual mentor who was really helpful for me to see it from a bigger lens, a bigger picture, and to find peace with that. And I did a lot of Feldenkrais, which is like mind body work. So I had three people I worked with, like mind, body, and soul that I would go, I would rotate through. Um, So it was a lot of time, a lot of money, a lot of journaling, a lot of energy, a lot of crying, a lot of like busting the myths about how my life was supposed to look. It's so interesting. I'm noticing, and I'm so sorry to our listeners for this background noise. We're having some work done upstairs, so um, hopefully you can still hear us. But um, I'm just noticing as as we're listening to your story that there's this willingness throughout your story to get help, which I think is so profound and beautiful because I think a lot of times when people are really struggling, they don't know that help is there or it feels scary to reach out. And so I'm, or they don't know where to reach out. So I'm wondering how, you know, how you got the courage and how these people came into your life. Um, and, and how you had that willingness as another sort of through line, um, to reach out for support, um, in these moments. Well, I think my, parents get some credit for that because when I was in, when I graduated from high school and they got divorced, they had set aside um, money so that I could go to talk to a therapist about it. And so that funded my summer sessions with my therapist here in Denver. And um, I really connected with her. And so each summer I would come back and work with her And um, I just started to feel so much better. And it introduced me to a whole world of 
acceptance and kindness, like inside my own head and healthier ways of looking at my childhood, that it brought something to life. Like I think that people think about going to therapy and they think of it as like this sad place to go to deal with uncomfortable stuff. And so it like has this negative connotation. But to me, I would look forward to sessions thinking I'm going to learn something new and I'm going to see things in a way that aren't so stressful. And then over time, it's like it just kept bringing to life my playfulness, my joy, my just like freedom inside of myself. And I attribute the work that those therapists did with why I'm a therapist, because I never wanted to be a therapist. I thought that sounded so boring to sit and listen to people talk about their sad stories like, (laughs) and um, at the end, when I was getting divorced and trying to figure out what I want to do, and I thought about the impact that these like people on my team had had on my life and how much more alive I was and how more grounded of a parent I was, I was like, oh, actually this might be fun. And then I got training in and I'm like, oh my gosh, this is anything but boring. To work with people who are willing to look at the deep stuff and willing to be open and honest and have rich conversations, like I love that. It's kind of ruined me for parties because like I'm no good at parties anymore because I can't stand superficial conversations. I like want to get to the heart of it. Like, who are you? How do you tick? What's your pain? What's your joy? You know, like whatever. So I'm just noticing something that feels really important um, with, you know, this idea of like you were doing and kind of like performing, right? when you went to college or performing as a mom or feeling like all the shoulds. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's interesting that acceptance and like feeling doesn't, it's not like you stopped doing, right? It's not like you were like, oh, now I just feel my feelings and I don't do. Because when I think Carrie, you are a doer, but you're, you're, but it's like, it's coming from a different place. Totally. Yeah. So, so that freedom isn't like freedom from, I think this is the other thing people worry about with work of like, well, what if I stop striving? And it's like, it just, it, it like shifts it to you still being who you are, but from a freer and more authentic place than when you're guided by shoulds and um, identity being wrapped up in mm-hmm. like do's and here's what my is expected of me. And here's who I like, like you are like, you still do get to be happy, Carrie, (laughs) but it comes from a much more real place. Totally. And I really remember like being a mom, a stay at home mom of a bunch of kids in school where there was a lot of parental involvement was a whole nother opportunity to kind of redo that lesson from my sophomore year in college where there was no shortage of things to say yes to. And I was getting stressed out and I was overly busy. And so I had to work on it again. And my practice started to be anytime anyone asked me to volunteer for something, I would say, I'll think about it. And then I would just sit with it a little bit, sit with it while I was running around, you know, hurting children here and there and doing dishes and all that and go, can I say yes with joy? Or is it coming from obligation? 
And if it was obligation and was going to be draining, then I said no, which was hard, but I learned that no can be a complete sentence or I'm sorry, but that's not going to work for me can be enough of a reason. And then if the answer was, can I do it from a full heart? Then I said, yes. And I realized how if I did fewer things, but the things I did, I did with a full heart, I was actually of more service than obligation and duty um, showing up from a drained place. Thank you so much for sharing that. I think that's such a powerful lesson. And um, I want to, I want to live more like that. I think that's, that's the way we should all live. Um, And I'm finding myself as we're listening, just feeling really curious about how your passion for helping parents sort of weaved its way into your own self-acceptance and self-growth journey, because that's such a huge part of your mission. Um, Just curious about how that sort of started to take shape for you. That actually happened in a really specific way where I was at this retreat, like a self-growth family camp, and we were doing this exercise on shame. And at that point, I had kids who were seven, four, and 10 weeks old. So I was holding my 10-week-old baby in this exercise. And um, everyone in the room was supposed to just close their eyes and think a little bit about what is their deepest shame that they hide, that they don't share with the world. And as I sat there, tears started pouring down my face because I knew instantly what it was. Ah, I feel I feel a lump in my throat even saying it because um, here I was with my three little boys that I love so much, and I was ashamed that I got mad at them and that I had yelled at them and been impatient with them. And um, I shared that with all these tears. And I was one of the younger people in the workshop. And the facilitator said to everyone else in the room, would you please raise your hands if you have felt this way? And every single parent raised their hands. And I was sitting there. It felt so good to know. But I was like, why didn't anyone tell me? I would have felt so much more accepting and so much calmer if I had known. But like, this is a secret society that parents don't let new parents come in on. And so it was that day. I had no idea how it would take shape. I had no idea I'd be a therapist or do this parenting work or anything. But I was like, that day I made a commitment to come out of my closet of trying to look like I had it together. I'm like, I am stepping out of this facade and going to be real. And I want to share with other parents that there is this secret society and we're all a part of it. And we need to stop keeping it secret. And parents need to share how hard it is, how shame inducing it is, and all that with younger moms. Cause I didn't want someone else to go through seven years of that kind of shame and guilt over how, over my feelings, over how mad I could get at my children. Wow. Thank you so much for sharing that Carrie. And it's, it's always so fascinating to me about how liberating 
the truth is and how oftentimes it's, it's back to that theme that Becca pointed out of like, how vulnerable was that for you to speak your truth in that moment and reveal your shame and, and then to have the entire room of people say me too. Um, and what an expansive moment that was for you in terms of your purpose, like looking back on it, how that was sort of the genesis of it all kind of thing. Yeah. That's really cool. And I think that's like, I mean, I think that there's so many topics and I think we'll be talking more about this in this, our whole season. And I think that's kind of why I think to our podcast, what I love about it or what I love about this work is like, we're sharing thing. Like you said, like people are afraid that therapy is going to be this like scary place. Right. And Mm -hmm. so I'm like, I'm just thinking about how so many things in life we hold and we think that we're the only ones. Yeah. Right? And, and and that keeps us from self-acceptance, right? Which then keeps us from freedom, right? Which then keeps us from connection. Yeah. Uh, because then as you shared that, like I am not a parent and I had tears welling because you were sharing your tears, right? And now I'm more connected to you. So I can't imagine what that's like for the people who get to work with you because you're so, you're just so real and they get to really, you're not, it's not platitude. So I just really appreciate <laughs> sharing that, Carrie. And you know, on a just a bigger scale, just such a beautiful example of acceptance and connection and mm-hmm. how they those two things are also connected. Totally. I know. You're linking all these things together for us with your <laughs> um, so so thinking back to the defining moments. Um, you mentioned age 40 and then, um, I know there was another defining moment after that. Um, would you, would you share with us a little bit about that? Well, now that I opened my tear valve, I'm probably, (laughs) (laughs) I'm probably going to keep leaking out of my eyes. Um, so, so another one was when I was 48 and, um, my middle son was 16 and he was just going through a lot. Well, first of all, he was a rascal at one level and I had to confront being the mother of that kid, you know, that kid where the police department just came to our house if there was mischief in the neighborhood and they would be like, is Palmer home? (laughs) And so, and, and he was that kid who was, going to parties and getting in trouble and having me go to the Dean's office to, you know, bail him out. Um, and so it was embarrassing because I was still attached or reattached to, you know, being the mother of, you know, I taught parenting classes, blah, blah, blah. I thought my, that fantasy of how I thought my kids should be. And then things started to get, more serious, more dire. And I had to make the decision to send him away to residential treatment. See, look, here I go again. Stop looking at me so sweetly. (laughs) It makes me cry. Um, And that was so painful to, um, to have a kid who was showing up as a hard kid and as a troubled kid. And to be willing to make that leap to um, let go of him because at that time he hated me. 
And so um, for all of my parenting years, I had attached myself and defined myself by being loved. Like that's one of the really cool things about raising little kids is for the first time in my life, I was popular. Because my boys loved me. Mommy do it. Mommy read stories. Mommy tie my shoes. I want to sit next to mommy. I was like, wow, I am popular. But come adolescence, it goes the opposite way. And so my internal 15-year-old self like felt hurt and rejected. And so it was really hard to um, be willing to surrender him to treatment and let him go and know that um, I had lost his love and that I might never get it back. I just didn't know how it would go. Um, and that chapter was really about standing up for myself and having a voice in some really strong ways about what was okay and what wasn't okay. There was legal stuff going on with this whole messy chapter. And so it tied so deeply into self-acceptance because I couldn't surrender my son for treatment unless I could accept myself um, as a human who was trying to raise this kid instead of defining myself as like some mom who had it all together. So I had to accept my loss. I had to accept what felt like my failure. Um, I couldn't define myself by somebody else loving me or not loving me. I just had to, you know, like be like, okay, I've done my best and I'm human and I hurt and I'm furious and I'm heartbroken and I have to take this action. And, um, and I did. So once again, like I think in each of these, I had to feel so much pain and the finding acceptance was really painful. And then on the other side was so much joy because what happened to my son is he got sent away. He was furious, but the boy who came home was so full of love, so grateful that he had been sent away, that that cycle he is on or that path he was on was disrupted. He said, mom, if you hadn't had the courage to do that, I'd be dead by now. And so that, like, it was all that pain, but the joy on the other side. And like right now, as we speak, he's home living with us for, you know, during COVID. Um, and he's this big, lovable, happy, full of life, young man turning 23 on Valentine's Day. Um and he wants to be a therapist and he wants to have impact in this world and work with teenage boys. And so as much as I hated that pain and protest and kicked and screamed and tantrumed about it, would I change it now looking back, considering that it led to the relationship between him and me being so sweet and him being a man who's choosing to have a life of impact, not in a I, I wouldn't trade it for anything, but oh my gosh, it was a huge drag while I was in it. Oh my gosh. I'm like crying. <laughs> I just, I just want to say just really quickly. And I have a question. No, I just have a thought. Okay. Um, I just want to say, Carrie, I, I mean, 
truly to bear witness to your story is just such an honor. And I know we're not all the way done yet, but it's just um, so amazing. It's so inspiring when people are willing to reveal the hardest parts of their journey because it, it just opens up space for, for us all to be human. And then also something I love about your story is, is the hope on the other side that almost when we let go and we let the universe or whatever you want to call it work, it's like we end up getting what we want a lot of times on the other side of things. Just, it just doesn't happen our way. And so, um, it's just so beautiful and so powerful on so many levels. And thank you so much for, for sharing that, that nugget of your story. Just so amazing. (laughs) And, and I think the other powerful thing about hearing you speak about it vulnerably is you are the parentologist, right? Like you are who I would send, who I do send my loved ones to when they need help. And I think that it is honest and, and vulnerable to to say that like you needed help, right? And, and for that's, sure, that's been a theme in here, and I think that can just be so powerful because I like my personality structure. Like I d- I don't want to accept help, right? Often mm-hmm. ever, um, and and I know that I need it, right? But it feels so scary, um, mm-hmm. and so just you sharing that feels like permission for me. So I can't imagine. And I know other people feel differently about it. So you're giving, per- when you share your story, you're giving permission to seek help. Right. And mm, I- yeah, I, I hope so. And yeah. for me, I think mothering has been my, like that has been the, I don't know, the venue or the channel. Cause like when you're really, really pregnant or when you're on bed rest or when you are in the process of giving birth or when you're recovering, like over and over and over, there's so many things you can't do and you kind of have to accept help if you're lucky enough to have loving people around you who will help, but you're vulnerable, you're physically vulnerable over and over and over. And then you're protecting this little baby who is so vulnerable that to me, that was the part that kind of squeezed and pushed and pulled and forced me to go, oh, wow, yeah, I need help sometimes. So Becca, if you're figuring it out now, you are ahead of the curve. So kudos to you. Figuring it out, thinking about it in my head and and internalizing it in my actions (laughs) takes some time for me, but Yeah. And just one other thought and then um and then wanting wanting to keep us moving along with hearing all the juicy parts of your story. But just wanting to give a plug, obviously here for therapy, that, you know, all three of us are therapists and all three of us have just benefited so much from therapy. And I think so often we we go to people that we think are these gurus and have never struggled and it's like our greatest strength comes from our struggles and being willing to ask for help. So thank you for being so transparent about that. Well, I really am committed. I'm allergic to trying to come across like, Oh, here I am. I have it all figured out. Let me teach you my wisdom. Like (laughs) barf. (laughs) Like I just want to be like, Oh, honey, I've been through some rough stuff and I'm just here to honor your experience. And like, walk with you through it and not expect your journey to be like mine, but just to be real. I just think we need so much more being real. 
in this world. Yeah. Amen. What a call to action for this year. I think that. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. So let's see. So here we go. So, um, so given the fact that, so you've shared with us these defining moments, um, what has learning this, this lesson of self-acceptance, which obviously, as we've talked about, is kind of a continual process throughout our lives, but what has that given you? Um, well, it's funny how hard I held on to my achieving and doing part and how I tantrumed when life threw me curveballs that interfered with that. Um, life had to squeeze me pretty hard to get me to give up that gig, but what it gave me was surrendering to the realities of real life and its struggles and like letting go of that notion that my life is broken if it's hard. Um, it's given me the freedom to roar with rage, which I did not grow up with and to sob from my belly and not think there's anything wrong with that, but to actually be like, yeah, baby, I'm like feeling it now. Um, is learning to, let's see, like learning to just be has involved recognizing the full spectrum of all my emotions, which had really very effectively been trained out of me as a little girl. But now I feel so much more like genuinely humble and so much more at peace with my imperfection. One of my mottos is live imperfectly with great delight. Um, and it's given me knowing that just being present with someone is worth something. Like as a therapist in training, I always felt like I had to give some wisdom. And I've had a number of mentors who are just like, just being present with someone can be valuable and therapeutic. And then I think the net of it all that it has given me is feeling so much more fully alive than I've ever felt in my life. Like I laugh in my belly you know, or from my belly and I love with my whole being and, um, I just feel way more fully alive and I'm still a work in progress. Like letting, you know, like I, I used to think I would arrive, but COVID this year of COVID has really taught me that I've never really arrived because it brought up more, more feelings and I didn't like them and I had to work through them, but it was like, Oh yeah, I recognize this and I've done this before and I am still a work in progress. So powerful. So powerful. Um, and so I I think that you've alluded to it. And I'm curious, what do you think your self-acceptance looks like in a daily practice for you? How do you practice it daily? Probably in a dozen little tiny ways. So it would be like when I lay in bed at night, if I'm stressed instead of, or when I'm actually experiencing self-acceptance, self I lay there on my side and I kind of have my hand on my shoulder and it's me just going, oh honey, that it, th that's a lot to deal with. Or, wow, you got through this day and there was, you know, and it was tough, but it's that kind voice instead of that mean voice. Um, one of them for me was learning how to not have to have the last word when I was arguing with my teenagers, 
because I had to accept, I had to be right. And self-acceptance meant I could be okay not winning and being imperfect, um, which has helped me have a lot more grace with my loved ones when they mess up. Because when I had such a strong inner critic in me, I was more critical of them. And now that I'm kinder to myself, I'm kinder to them. Um, it gives me more ability to, more permission to feel what I feel and not judge it. Can I keep going? I have a few more. Yeah, yeah keep going. Um, when I find myself being critical of myself, I'm more likely to reach out for support. Because I'm like, oh, whoa, I'm, I'm out of balance here. <laughs> One thing that it's given me is when I mess up, like if I goof now, I'll just be like, oh, silly Carrie or silly mommy. And it's a ridiculous thing to say because all of my sons are like way bigger than me and have these big, deep voices. And I'll just be like, throw my hands in the air and be like, oh, silly, silly mommy. You know, <laughs> just laughing at myself and they roll their eyes and laugh at me along with it. Um. And I guess it's also just permission to just be me, like that it's okay to not be busy and doing and just be like, I need a moment. Or like sometimes in between sessions, if I feel tight, it's permission to like get up and dance like one half of a song in between sessions or to just sit and not feel like, not feel so guilty and not feel like I'm wasting time to just be me. Yeah. I love that. Oh my gosh. I feel like we got just pearls of wisdom today. I feel so filled up from listening to you. Thank you so much, Carrie. Um, oh, it was fun being with you guys. I know. And I'm just thinking about how like much there is, right? Like you just shared a part of your story and I'm so appreciative and like, even as you just said, I would dance. Like, I could do a whole episode on your relationship with Dan. <laughs> right? um, and so uh, you're just a dynamic, um, like, multidimensional being and um, and such a gift in the world of parenting. Um, mm-hmm. A gift in the world of therapy. And, and, and so I just, I'm really grateful for you. And thank you for sharing a part of your story with us today. Well, thank you for listening and for asking and for being the individuals who are doing a podcast called Two Therapists in Therapy, that it's (laughs) all about vulnerability and self-acceptance. And like you're putting that message out there in such a big way by being open and vulnerable yourself. So right back at you, you two. Thank you. And I'm wondering, just as we wrap up, we like to end our episodes with an encouragement. And so I'm just wondering if um, just based on our conversation today or based on your story or based on just how you're feeling today, if you have an encouragement for our listeners. I guess my encouragement would be Well, I think I want to speak, well, I think generally to the, you know, general audience, it would be when you find those moments of protest in yourself to consider pushing through them to see what's on the other side. 
Because at least my experience has been when I push through, there's been more joy and more freedom. And for parents in particular, my encouragement would be to be real and to be open and honest and share with other parents what their experience is and to look around. And if they see other parents who are doing a good job, to speak to that, like to validate that and name that, send a postcard, like actual mail, you know, and, or thank them for how they, how they touch you by what, you know, we all parents are all watching each other and inspiring each other. And so to share that, to help other parents have self-acceptance for themselves and to know that they are in great company, if they feel inadequate and frustrated with themselves or embarrassed about how they act sometimes, they're, they're in great company with every single other parent out there. Thank you, Carrie. Um, before, and before we go, can you tell us where people can find you, including where people can sign up to take a class from you? Yes, with pleasure. Um, so my website is carriestutzman.com, which is K-E-R-R-Y-S-T-U-T-Z-M-A-N.com. And, um, I've been teaching parenting classes in person forever, it seems like, and now I'm taking them online, um, brand new course, and it's on my website on the classes page. And what I'm most excited about is that for so many years, I've taught parenting skills that were developed by other people. And this time I get to pull together the things that I think are really important for raising emotionally healthy kids and building connected families, which is parenting skills, those matter, and how we take care of our, like our own self-acceptance and self-awakening. And if we're raising kids with a partner, how to keep love alive so that kids get to grow up with healthy, happy adults. And it's called right now, it's called um, How to Parent Without Losing Your Mind. And people who are in the trenches of parenting laugh and they're like, oh, yeah, that's for real. (laughs) Well, thank you so much, Carrie. And hopefully next time you're on our show, we'll we'll be in person. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. Yes, indeed. Thanks, you guys. You bet. Signing off. Signing off. It's Sarah and Becca again. Thanks for listening to our podcast. You can tune in on your favorite podcast player every other Monday to hear us talk with special guests about self-acceptance, self-love, and self-growth. See you in a few weeks.